You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hello. My name is Foster, and I will be reading from Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11, and 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Foster. I'm going to pray as we dig in. God in heaven, we come to you now seeking to know you more, to have wisdom, to have transformed lives as a result of spending time with you and in your word. And so we ask that, God, you would come and you would make those things happen. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start today with a very uncontroversial statement, because next week I'm I'm going to say something that's a little bit more controversial, okay? So uncontroversial statement, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Uh, I, I just think it's incredible. I love spending time reading it and studying it. I love digging into the parts where I'm like, I just don't get it. God, help me understand. I, I love the parts that give me hope and, and give me life. Uh, and so that's just my own personal testimony as it relates to the Bible. Uh, but the Christian faith actually requires belief in the Bible. You may not have known that. 
Without the Bible, we don't have Christianity. And so today's question is of the utmost importance. How can you take the Bible literally, is our question. How can you take the Bible literally? And uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, as we've mentioned, she's written this book called Confronting Christianity. We've kind of loosely based the series off it. And I love the way she begins this chapter in her book. She, she asks this question, have you ever had your heart broken? And I wonder if, have you ever had your heart broken? And if you have, what might have happened when you had your heart broken? Uh, I can tell you what didn't happen when you had your heart broken. No one called an ambulance, right? No one checked your blood pressure. No one attempted CPR. But if you had a heart attack, you, you might hope that someone would call an ambulance on your behalf, right? And you can imagine that if someone did and, and the operator said something to the effect, I'm so sorry to hear about their heart, but don't try to do anything for them. Just hold them. Just listen to them and let them know that you love them. You'd be pretty disappointed about that, wouldn't you, if you had just had a heart attack? And so the idea is that our lives can depend on distinguishing literal truth from metaphor. And so this question, how can you take the Bible literally, might be the wrong question. Because what I think we need to be asking is, should we take the Bible literally? And the answer to that question is, it depends on what you mean by literally. The word literal literally comes from a Latin term which is referring to the exact letters and words that are being used. And so to take the Bible literally in that sense would be to interpret its meaning from the normal rules of grammar and speech and syntax and context and, and literary genre and all those sorts of things. And so by that definition, I would say, yes, absolutely we should take the Bible literally. But I don't think that's what most people think of when they think of literal. You might be with me on this one. I think probably most people think of it like a scene I recently saw in Guardians of the Galaxy when my, friend, when my family and I re-watched that movie. You guys familiar with it? You might know this scene where Peter Quill, he insults Drax, who's this alien guy from another planet. And he says... You're like a thesaurus, and, he, and, and Drax is so offended, and Drax is like, I am not a thesaurus, I am a man, you know, and, and Peter's like, take it easy, man, it, it is a metaphor, and of course, he gets interrupted then by Rocket, the raccoon, who tells Peter, he says, Drax's people are completely literal, metaphors will just go over his head, and Drax gets even more angry, and he says, nothing goes over my head, right? My reflexes are too fast what he says. I love that scene, and I think that's what we typically think of when we think of literal, right? And so if, if by literal you mean irrespective of grammar and syntax and genre and context and all of those things and just like woodenly, literally taking things at face value, and then of course also adding our modern Western goggles as we're reading it, then I would say absolutely not. We should not take the Bible literally at all times. And so this question of should we take the Bible literally doesn't have a simple yes or no answer like we've been having for most of the rest of this series. 
some places in the Bible make this really hard. And I'm going to actually look at a few that are a little bit hard. They're, they're kind of softballs, if we're honest. But it's just to illustrate the point, because I think that the hardest passages, which we might get into in the Q&A time later, those might take us the rest of the afternoon just to try and cover them and, and, and untangle them. So let me just show you, just to illustrate how not to interpret the Bible, okay? So Matthew 5.30 if you were with us when we covered this a year and a half ago, you might remember this passage. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay. Are we supposed to obey this command? Are we supposed to, you know, cut off one of the parts of our body in order to stop sinning? Anyone? No. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you got that. Why not? Why, why do you know that you're not supposed to cut off one of your body parts? <laughs> well, first off, you can tell just by reading it that Jesus is being hyperbolic, right? He's using hyperbole, though, for a specific purpose. We don't just write it off and go, oh, well, that's all just a bunch of silly stuff that Jesus was doing. He's being hyperbolic. We don't have to follow that. No, Jesus is actually making a point that we do need to obey. And the point is that we should look at our sin with the same urgency and severity that's being described here. That we should flee from sin as the Bible teaches us to do. Okay, so there, there is truth here, but we have to understand how to interpret it in order to know how it can affect our lives. A fli the flip side of that, okay, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and he said to him, Jesus said to someone who had asked him a question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Are we supposed to obey this command, these commands? Okay, good, yeah, you got that one right too, great. Uh, and yet, Jesus here is using something that could come off like hyperbole, isn't he? He says, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And yet we know that in many, many other places, Jesus teaches us that God wants all of us he doesn't just want a part of our lives. He wants our whole being. And so it makes sense that this would be a command that we are supposed to follow, right? And, and of course, we know that the Bible teaches us countless times to love God and to love people. And so this is, uh, I guess, corroborated with multiple passages of Scripture, and that's how we know. Here's another place, though, of how not to interpret the Bible. Check this out. John 33, uh, 2 through 4. This man, his name is Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus is doing all these miracles, and the miracles are proving to this man that Jesus is God, that God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. He said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> okay. 
So this guy is taking Jesus literally, and he's completely misunderstanding him. It's almost comical that he would actually hear Jesus in this way, partially because we know now what Jesus meant by being born again. We know that what he means is that unless we find life through Jesus, unless we find life in God, we will not see the kingdom of God. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Another example of someone taking Jesus literally, just a chapter later in John 14, uh, Jesus encounters this woman at a well. You guys might know this story. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. She's thinking only about, man, how do I avoid having to come to this well? This water is heavy. This sun is hot. And she's completely missing him, just like Nicodemus had missed Jesus, by taking him literally. Jesus' point is the same as it was with Nicodemus. He's just using a different metaphor, right? He's saying... You need to come to me to find this living water, this life that you find in God. And he's, in this case, referring to the life of the Holy Spirit that grows and grows in a person, and it leads to us experiencing eternal life with God. And so there are many things that make interpreting the Bible difficult. We can just acknowledge that. I mean, these are the softballs, like I said. We might get into some of the the more difficult things later, but there are all kinds of different types of literature and events. There's miracles, there's metaphors, there's proverbs, there's poetry, parables, and prophecy. These all need to be understood in their proper context. And we need to be thoughtful not to always apply the same exact literal methods to every single passage in the Bible. Now, unfortunately, so, so that's, that's, that's responding to what is basically like a Bible-thumping fundamentalist kind of approach to the way that people read the Bible, okay? But unfortunately, there's another problem on the opposite end of the spectrum, and that is late modern philosophy kind of creeping in and teaching us how to read and how to interpret everything. You might have been here a few weeks ago when we talked about morality, and we said that, uh, that in late modern philosophy, we see human beings as a blank canvas. You might remember that. And in that, we, we see ourselves as individuals at the very center of our worldview, and then it's up to us to be able to create reality, to create meaning and morals and, and everything. And then when you apply that to reading and, and interpreting literature, what we see is the way that we read the Bible or other texts, you know, it might be history or news or novels, anything, we begin to, to think that reality only comes into being through our interpretations of what the world means to us individually. And so we start to read that into the Bible. It's completely subjective. It's completely up to me as an individual. And so how do we interpret the Bible? Let's look at that for a moment. How to interpret the Bible. And I'm going to give you two simple aspects. I was talking this morning about how I've taken entire classes on how to interpret the Bible. So this is obviously just a crash course, very simple tool that I hope can be helpful to you. But the point is uh, that, that 
it can be this simple at times. I got this from R.C. Sproul. Here's what he says. Here's how to interpret the Bible. Read the Bible like you would any other book. That's what we've been talking about when we've been talking about the need to look at grammar, speech, syntax, context, and literary genre. Why would we read the Bible like we would any other book? Because it's written by human authors. Sometimes people de-emphasize the reality of this, but it's so true. The Bible is written by human authors, and those humans wrote from personal, historical, and cultural contexts. And so for us to understand what it means for us, we've first got to go to what the author intended to say and what it would have meant for them and their culture and their original audience. And so read the Bible like you would any other book, but here's the other point. Read the Bible like you would no other book. Read the Bible like you would no other book. Why? Because it's God-inspired. It's not just written by human authors. It's also written by the very words of God. First, or 2 Peter 1 tells us, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men or human beings spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God inspired people to write these words down. And these are the words that we have. These are words that are coming to us from God. God was the one who inspired those things. But he also inspired them to say these things in certain ways. And so we've got to not look at the Bible as like this book of magic per se. But there is a spiritual reality to what is written in here. There is a spiritual reality to how we understand it and how we accept it and how we work through what it means for our lives. We also have to remember both of these factors are happening at the same time. It's not just one or the other at any given moment. I'll give you a, a good example of this I think is so helpful for, for how to interpret the Bible. If you look in the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, what you'll see time and time again is God referring to people, people's minds or their hearts. It's usually, it's usually coming from the same exact Hebrew word uh, that we interpret usually as heart. But you know what the original word meant to the Hebrew people was entrails. It's kind of gross, huh? Or kidneys or your guts, okay? And so when Hebrew people thought about where does my will exist in me as a human being, it's a lot more like we talk about, like, I could feel it in my gut, you know? You ever use that phrase? I could feel it in my heart or in my gut. That's how they thought about it. But we know today, modern science tells us, like, this is where our thinking happens, right? We know that our brain is where the, the syntaxes fire, or is that the right word, Sym, synapses fire? I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't even have a big enough brain to know those kinds of words. So uh, that, this is where all the thinking happens, right? But when we read the Bible, it's talking about our mind. It's not referring to just simply what we're thinking about. Is that untrue? No. It was God using human authors that had a certain way of looking at human beings in the world, and he was speaking to them. He was 
inspiring them to use the kind of language that their people would have understand. He didn't correct them and go, oh, by the way, guys, that's not where you actually, where your mind is or where your heart is. He didn't say, stop using that entrails word, use brain, you know. He didn't do that because he was working through human authors, but he was inspiring them with his own words. While many parts of the Bible are challenging to interpret, the most important things are clear as day. And this is where we can have confidence as Christians. A great example of that in the New Testament is how the authors of the New Testament repeatedly emphasize Jesus' literal bodily resurrection. This is one of those parts of the Bible that you should take very literally, okay? I'll give you an example. In John chapter 20, this story pops up. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, he's one of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, he's called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas doesn't believe them. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, that's where the executioner uh, stabbed Jesus with a spear and water and blood poured out just so they could prove that he was officially dead. Unless I do that, Thomas says, I will never believe. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas, this time he was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, this is a miracle. The resurrection is a miracle. Here's another one. Jesus just shows up. We aren't really sure how. Is Jesus a ghost? What's going on? Apostle John is very clear. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side, he says to Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He comes to faith right then and there in that moment. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Apostle John wants us to know that Jesus physically rose from death. He wants us to know that Jesus wasn't a ghost. He wants us to know that we must believe this truth even though we can't see Jesus right here in front of us. He wants us to read this literally. Can we believe? Can we believe what the Apostle John is inviting us to believe. You know, when someone asks the question, how can you take the Bible literally, what they really mean most of the time, I'm guessing, is why would you believe the Bible? And so that's actually the next question that I want to address. Why would you believe the Bible? And beneath that question are a ton of fears. We're all wrestling with fear as we come to things like believing and faith. We have doubts that pull us back. You know, I, as I uh, came out of the, the history of Mars Hill, which I told you guys about on the first week of this series, I was confused. I still had faith, but I had to work through things like doubts because I'd been taught by someone who I later learned was spiritually abusive to me, who I later learned had a lot of very big distortions in how he saw the world. And I had to go, well, what about 
this is true. And what about what he taught me was not what is being said in this book. And so we come, and that's just my version. Maybe you have your own story of why would you believe the Bible and you've struggled with things like doubts. Well, I'm going to bring up these fears that we might have as we approach believing the Bible. And so each one of these points isn't why you would believe the Bible, but actually why you wouldn't. And then I'm going to address each one of those fears. So the first one, I guess this is why you wouldn't believe the Bible, (laughs) if that's any clearer to you. I don't want to have to give up science. I don't want to have to give up science. And I'll just answer that one really briefly today. The Bible is not necessarily in conflict with science. And we're going to look at that subject next week in depth, okay? And you're invited to come back as we do. So I'm not going to address it in full today. But the Bible is not necessarily in conflict with science. Second fear I don't want to navigate the murky waters of interpretation. We saw how challenging this can be already as we've looked at Scripture today. But here's the truth. The Bible can be understood. It can. And we get to do this seeking of understanding and this, this walking through these murky waters of interpretation together as a Christian community. We actually have the support of our, of our friends, our brothers, our sisters. And that doesn't mean that in the end there are no differing views out there. There are. <laughs> There's a wide range of differing views. We even talked about some of them last week. But it might be helpful to consider that there are different issues that are either primary or secondary. And where we can get really turned upside down is when we begin to make the secondary issues the primary issues. And then there's all this variance and disagreement around what's secondary, and we can't come back to the basis of our faith, and we kind of miss out on what God has for us. Sometimes Christians with the same exact intent and the same exact efforts can actually land in different places on these secondary things. But when it comes to the primary issues... You can always fall back on things like the historic creeds, right? These things that have stood for centuries and centuries as an attempt to summarize the story of God and the story of Jesus that we find here in the Scripture. And so those primary issues that we see in things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, those become the foundations that you can now build upon. And now you can work through those secondary issues. You can do it in community. You can do it with your brothers and sisters, without spending too much mental, spiritual, and emotional energy fighting with one another over it. Now, at the same time, while the Bible can be understood, there are definitely things that even the best scholars in the world can't get sorted out. That doesn't mean that their faith, though, is in jeopardy. Because our faith is rooted in those primary issues, not in those secondary issues, which puts us at peace with the fact that there are many things in the Christian faith, there are many things in the Scriptures, in fact, that remain to us a bit of a mystery. Can I just get an amen to that? There are things that remain to us a bit of a mystery. That passage we heard read earlier in Isaiah 55 speaks to this a little bit. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God says, I'm way above you. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, we've been made in God's image as human beings. Yes, there are parts of us that are able to reflect who God is and what he is like. But man, we are small, aren't we? We are so, we are so finite. And God's ways, they're higher than our ways. And we see this show up in all kinds of different uh, places in Scripture. The Apostle Peter, I think, illustrates this really well when he says that there are some things the Apostle Paul taught that were even hard for him to understand in 2 Peter 3. And on top of that, we know as Christians that God has not revealed everything to us yet. For some things, we will have to wait until eternity with Jesus before we can have those questions answered. I often joke, especially with my family, about that list of questions that I'm going to ask Jesus when I see him face to face, those things that I'm still struggling with. But 1 Corinthians 13 speaks to this. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then it'll be face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We're seeing here that for now, it's like looking into a mirror sometimes. When we read the Bible, we try and understand what God is doing in our lives and in the world and in in the Scriptures. It, It can be a little bit foggy. Now, a mirror we think of is just clean and clear, and we can see everything pretty well. First century mirror, when this was written... Very, very difficult to see through. It was like, kind of like a, a mirror after you get out of the shower, right? Just completely foggy, a little hazy. He's saying now things are a bit dim. There's mystery that we will wrestle with until one day when we're face to face with Jesus. When we will know everything then, just as he knows us today fully, that is a good day. Until then, it's okay to wrestle with mystery. It's okay. Another fear. I don't want to be a culturally regressive prude. (laughs) Yes, I tried to write that as like out there as possible. Friend, if that's you, I don't either. So I'm with you. I don't want to be a culturally regressive prude either. Okay. I hope that none of us want to be culturally regressive prudes. But what we need to remember with the Bible is that the Bible is timeless. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is true. And so its principles actually transcend culture. doesn't matter how culture shifts. The Bible remains true. Now, we can always learn from culture, and we should be willing and, and interested in doing that. But we can do so while never allowing it to be the driving force for how we see the world. We can do it by returning to the Bible over and over and over again as a primary authority in our lives that we filter everything through. This is the difference between what I'll call sola scriptura and solo scriptura. Okay, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this in just a second. So you guys might be familiar with sola scriptura, which is uh, basically 
a principle, it's a Latin term, came from the Reformation. And the Reformers came up with this basically as a way of saying Scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice of the Christian. But sola scriptura is a little bit different than solo scriptura. Because sola scriptura doesn't... uh, it doesn't tell us that we, there's anything else outside of the Bible that we need to know in order to know God and in order to be saved by Him. But God doesn't limit His truth to this book. Amen? All truth is God's truth. It's just that the Scripture is the final authority. Now, solo scriptura, on the other hand, is basically a, a, a way of thinking that says any attempt to find truth outside of Scripture is probably from the devil. And I found this really funny quote online that was trying to make fun of solo scriptura, and I think they did a great job, um, talking about how someone who's just afraid of cultural ideas and afraid of trying to find truth outside of God's Word, they might think like this, we don't need any of that malarkey. We don't want any of that malarkey. In fact, you should all probably, as Christians, you should probably all split up and each go to a separate forest with your own authorized version of the Bible and read it alone for the rest of your lives like hermits. I think that's funny. You can laugh at that if you get, if you get what I'm saying. So sola, solo scriptura is not what uh, scriptura calls us to. Rather, we should follow the pattern of what we see in the Bereans in Acts 17. These guys... Paul comes into town, he starts preaching gospel to them, and they don't just accept that truth that Paul's preaching at face value. They actually go back to their scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, and they, they filter it through and they say, is what's being taught actually lining up with what we see here in God's Word? And friends, you should do that too. You should be like the Bereans. You should do that with me. You should do that with anything that you're seeing or trying to understand or being taught You should do like the Bereans do, but we don't need to be culturally regressive prudes in the process. Last fear I want to deal with, I don't want to be a fool and live based on something that can't be proven. And my response to this one is just the Bible is historically reliable. It just is. It just is. You can go and do the research for yourself the historical details of the Bible that have been corroborated by outside historical sources, archaeology, geography, cultural studies, and the New Testament especially has been corroborated by outside non-Christian historians as well. And so to this day, there's virtually no modern historian that would deny that Jesus was a real Jewish person who existed and was crucified by the Romans in Palestine in the first century CE. Almost no one denies that. Now, not all of them, of course, would agree that the resurrection actually happened because that's a miracle which requires faith in order to believe. But even non-Christian historians would agree that the earliest eyewitnesses believed Jesus had risen and they actually claimed to have seen him and their lives actually was, were changed as a result of that. Christianity, friends, is a uniquely historical religion. And some of you guys are like, yeah, but I took this class in college and they told me that you know, the Bible has been translated too many times and we don't even know what it originally said. You might have heard some of these kinds of things. But listen to this, friends. We have 
over 70 manuscripts from the 100s and the 200s CE, less than 100 years, some of them, after they were originally written, less than 100 years after the events of Jesus' life. We have these copies. And there are no other works in all of the ancient world that we have anywhere even close to that many in that portion of time after they were written. And today we have 5,000 Greek manuscripts. We have over 10,000 early New Testament translations. So we have enough data here that we can know what the Bible, uh, what the authors were originally intending to say. And you might say, well, yeah, but there's so many variants. You might have learned this in a class as well. There's so many variants, there's so many errors and, and differences between the different copies and all those translations of the Bible, which is true, by the way. Yes, absolutely, there are. There are over 100,000 tiny little changes in all of those different manuscripts that we translate our Bibles from. But equally true to that is that those manuscripts were copied with 99.98% accuracy. And more than that, 99.9% of the variants of all those differences that they might have are completely superficial, things like spelling errors, okay? No Christian doctrine is under threat from any of these variants, none of the main things, these primary things that we're talking about. And so you can trust the Bible. It's based on historic reliability. Dr. Rosalind Pickard uh, is an MIT professor, and years ago she was a a very strong atheist. She would have said she was antagonistic, in fact. And, And she thought that Christians, first off, didn't know science, that they only turned to things like religion as a crutch. She thought they weren't very smart, kind of demeaning, right? You feel bad, like, come on, we're not that bad. We're not that unsmart, right? Well, soon she finds out as she begins to meet Christians uh, that there are many who are actually smart and, and many who she's meeting who actually do believe in science, who actually believe and have come to believe in Jesus in a very thoughtful way, not just haphazardly or just to try and like find a crutch like she had thought. And those people, as she began to respect them and began to get to know them, they challenged her. They said, you need to go and read the best-selling book of all time. That's the Bible, in case you didn't know. And as she began to read, it began to change her mind. And she didn't like that. She wasn't very happy about that. So she, she decided to go study other world religions and kind of stop doing that for a minute. And so she goes and she reads the other scriptures that are out there. She goes and she meets other people who hold these other views. She goes and she worships with all these other people. And Dr. Pickard started to realize that she was on a journey where what she saw in Christianity was actually becoming even clearer and more attractive as a result of doing all this other exploration, especially as she returned to reading the Bible and as she learned of its historical accuracy. Very smart person, way smarter than me. And she gradually then, she says, she moved from from being an atheist to being an agnostic to being a full-fledged, born-again Christian. 
all because she came to see that what was written about Jesus in the New Testament scriptures is true, is true. And so the two final thoughts I want to leave you with, with why would you believe in the Bible? Two things, because God's word is trustworthy. I'll come to the second one in a second. Jesus said, or the uh, book of Revelation says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These are Jesus' words. They're trustworthy and true. Over and over and over again, if you read the Bible, you will see that God is 100% committed to the truth. God abhors lies. He's constantly speaking out against things that are not true all throughout the Bible. And in an age of spin and media and, and twisting of facts that want to promote somebody's worldview, this truth is so refreshing, isn't it? The timelessness of the truth of God's word is so refreshing. The second reason, though, is because God's word is like a seed that sprouts eternal life. We heard this passage read earlier, and this is where I want to leave you today. In 1 Peter, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again through the living and abiding word of God, if you're a Christian. For all flesh is like grass, he's quoting Isaiah, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is going to endure forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. And because we believe through these words, we know that we will endure forever. That's what Peter's trying to tell us here, that through God's word, we can know God, that through God's word, we can know his plans, that before the foundation of the world, he decided that he would come to redeem fallen humanity through Jesus Christ. And through God's word, we can know salvation is what Peter's talking about here. This is what he meant by that phrase, born again. That through the life of Jesus, we become like new people, that this word about him is planted in us. And we don't, we don't have this situation like those who will die or wither like the grass or the flower. Rather, we will rise again. Why can we know that for certain because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, and the story of that resurrection that we see here. And the Bible, it, it's one big story that leads to him. It's one story that is living. It's active. And it gives us eternal life. I'm going to pray and we'll respond together. Father God, we pray now that you would give us the eyes of faith and help us to believe. God, with each of us wrestling through different doubts, maybe they were mentioned here as I, as I talk about these fears. Maybe they weren't mentioned. But God, you know our hearts. Help us, God, 
to come to deeper and deeper degrees of faith because of what your word teaches us. Help us to wrestle through the hardest things as we come closer and closer to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.